unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my Because of me, but it's not quite five. Y'all can keep visiting for another few seconds and we'll get started. started. Um, first off, thank you so much uh, for your attendance tonight, for being here. Uh, if you're in person, you know, glad you were able to come out this evening. If you happen to be at home, uh, quarantined or sick, we hope that that goes well and you return to us soon. Uh, if you are at home because of a healthcare decision that you have made, uh, let's just, I'll tell you this, your discipline impresses me. Uh, I know for me personally, paying attention when I'm watching is much harder than when I'm sitting in person. So kudos to all of you that are tuning in at the house. And by way of that, uh, this church is always active. And Brother Jim mentioned to me uh, before I came up here that if you plan on going to Nashville, turn your name into him or there is a sign-in sheet in the back. That's this Thursday and Friday, correct? And he has, he's going he's to be booking hotels. So if you're planning on going to that trip, he needs your name or sign up tonight so he can book the hotel rooms to make sure you are you have your accommodations. Uh, he also wanted me to mention that they were able to get into Landmark today and they were able to have that meeting, which was excellent. That's at four and they plan to continue doing that at four o'clock in the afternoon. So that's good to see that ministry uh, starting back up. And so uh, I'm going to tell a little personal story real quick, and I mean this for comic relief. You may not find it funny at all, but that's how I mean it. And I think I'm getting another announcement, but I don't, I'm not getting another announcement. So I don't forget to give it to you. Oh, perfect. I'm actually glad you put the, gave this to me because this was not on my list of things to go over. So this is actually really good. So new addendum, because he did give me an announcement, even though Brother Stephen didn't think he did. I am teaching a class for the next two quarters one quarter will be in the annex, one quarter will be up here. And it's called Modern Moral Issues. So again, Modern Moral Issues. Uh, I have a few topics that I plan on covering uh, for that study. But if you have anything in particular that you would like to study during that 13 week or we'll call it 12 week course, 
uh, get that information into me. Uh, if it fits and I have enough spots, I'll be happy to work it in. Uh, I have about six. I know Brother Stephen has a couple. We haven't been able to compare notes to see if we have the exact, if we have any duplicates. Uh, but a few things that I want to make sure we go over. And if it takes a couple weeks to do each one of those topics, that's fine. Uh, we will get through that. And so now, uh, by way of a personal story, my wife does 99.97% of the laundry. Uh, I'm not allowed to touch it as a general rule. Now, you may be wondering where that 0.97 came from. It's because I do three pieces of laundry um, during a given week. And that is my two sons' pants get steamed on Sunday mornings before we come to church. And then I steam my shirt. If you saw me last Sunday, you know I wore this shirt last Sunday. And you may be wondering why I'm telling you this. It's because after we were completely dressed and ready to go, she went, you wore that last Sunday. And I went, hmm. Um, Y'all know me. I don't think about things like that. But we decided it was okay for me to wear this shirt today because I did not teach this class last Sunday. So there's no video evidence other than I'm giving video evidence that I wore a shirt two weeks in a row. Uh, that story is going to have a point later on. But I just want you to know, like, you know, those are, these are things we struggle. So if you saw me and you went, good grief, huh? That's me. It's okay. It's, it was my fault. Uh, that was my, you know, 0.03% that I messed up. And so with all that being said, just, just, out of, just, for, just for fun, let's talk about what we are going to talk about tonight. So for the last several weeks, we introduced the topic, which is the image of God. And we know that Christ is the image of God. We know we were originally designed or created in their image. We were supposed to, we were charged with two primary responsibilities, be fruitful and multiply on the earth. And after we did, as we were doing that, we were supposed to take care of this earth. But we did something. We as human beings sinned. And when we sinned, we were no longer able to image God. So God had to send someone to fix that problem. And that someone was Jesus Christ. And so what we're doing in this class is we are going through every week we are studying Jesus Christ, and we start out with the cross. And I made the comment at the start of that, that I don't know of a single 24, and it was really more like 18-hour time on earth where there were more examples of obedience that were more challenging than in that 18-month, I mean, excuse me, 18-hour time frame. And so we start out with the example of Christ, that he was obedient to death. And even points during that cross he actually stopped for a second and talked to people to make sure he did things he needed to do. And so as we go through these, we're going to continually remind ourselves and study how do we stack up to the image of God, or as the New Testament writer said, the exact imprint. Because see, if we call ourselves disciples or followers of Christ, when people look at us, they should see Christ. Now we know we've all failed and come short of the glory of God. We know that. But if we try a little bit to get better every day, and we get a little bit better every day, we will look more like him every day. We'll never be him, of course. And so as we went through that three-week study of the cross, and I told you it would be exhausting. It is for me anyways. Anytime I study the cross in that kind of depth, it wears me out. It's just a topic that's just tough to teach. And so I know God did the very end of the cross last week, and we talked about, and, and I, we talked about our outline together and how he went through the very end of the cross. And so we know that had that not been completed, had he not finished that work, we would have no hope today. So now we're going to go backwards. So we went to obedience, the, the obedience of Christ. To now we're going to go to examples of Christ. Now what I mean by examples of Christ are things that he did in his life. 
This is not his teachings yet. Okay, I'm actually doing those towards the end because as they, uh, there's a saying about, you know, you can, you can preach it, but do you actually live it, right? Are you doing it? Did Christ actually do the walk? Did he actually image God in his walk? Not did his, what he did, did his teachings measure up, but did his actual actions measure up? Words are cheap, as they say, right? Now, we know words of Christ were not cheap. We know that. But that's why we're going to study actions that he took in his life. We're going to try to get to his personality. And we don't think about the personality of Jesus very often. I think sometimes we almost, and this is going to sound really sacrilege, I don't mean for it to, so don't sweat the analogy too much. I think sometimes we almost make Christ too godlike. All right, I just freaked everyone out when I said that. Let me clarify what I mean by that. He was 100% human being. Do not forget that or take that away. He was 100% God. And we have a really hard time looking at those two things. But Christ had a personality just like you and I have personalities. And he had things that he was tempted with just like you and I have things that, he, that we are tempted with. So that's why we're going to study the personality of Christ. Because as you recall from that first week, we talked about what would Jesus do or what would God do in any given situation? Why would he do it? And what would his motivation be? Now, that's a tough measure when you look at all three of those things together. And so tonight, we're going to talk about a topic that, to be candid, I think we struggle with. This is not a modern moral issue, per se. I just think it's an issue we struggle with in the world today as a general rule. And so as we get into this, we're going to start off in Philippians. Now, I know we always go back to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're going to start off in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to do verses 6 and 7. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And we're going to stop right there for a second and dissect this. And we're going to look at Christ. Just think in Christ's life. We're going to go back to the cross because we just studied that. Right before the cross, was Jesus concerned? Yes. Now, how do we know that, Miss Marilyn? Yes. Isn't it interesting that the person that wrote the word, he was the word of the Old Testament, right? He knew the plan as God, but as a man, he was begging God to let the, pat, the cup pass from him. In everything, do what? What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to pray about everything, according to Philippians 4. Now, sometimes, I think sometimes we forget, this is leading up to this next verse. This, that verse I just read is leading up to this next verse, and this is the verse, verse 7, I think we tend to focus a little bit more on. And it says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What is the peace of God? Why are there no hands going up? Hmm. 
And that's why I said I think we have a problem with this particular subject that we're going to study tonight. Was Jesus, did Jesus ever have a nickname that had peace in it? Prince of Peace. What, what does that mean? Marilyn, I hear you talking. What were you saying? His peacemaker, absolutely. Does that mean he never hurt anybody's feelings? No. Does it mean that he ever shart away, I think that's a word, from his responsibilities because it might offend somebody? No. Was he rude just for the fun of being rude? No. Now, this man went into a temple and turned over tables, but did not sin in doing so. You have to be very much in control of your emotions to do something like that. Right? Or you can make such a point, but at the same time, not cross a line with your anger. But, but he did it. We talked about this peace, the Prince of Peace, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. What does true peace give a child of God? I heard comfort from the back. Speak up. What else? Confidence in the future. Confidence in the future. One more time back there. Understanding. Understanding. Thank you. Understanding. Absolutely. I think the way I would sum this up is if you truly have the peace of God, you have absolutely no anxiety about the life you are currently living in. Now, why do I say that? In verse 6, what is, how does it start? In verse 6 of Philippians 4, it says, Do not be anxious about anything. Does that include your death? Does that include life-threatening situations? Sure it does. So you're telling me there is this idea of this peace that I don't have to worry about anything because I know God has it. Is that, is that what the class is telling me right now? Because that, that sounds pretty awesome. Pretty much so. Yeah, actually what Philippians 4 says. Did Jesus ever in his life give us an example of this? Now, of course, you can go to the cross where we were just at. What do I mean by that? The moment his job was finished, he said, it is finished. He didn't worry about whether or not he would make it through it once it started. Beforehand, he was concerned. But once he said, once he realized the cup wasn't going to pass, it was game on. And he went forward because he knew the resolution. He knew what was going to happen. He had confidence in that. But you know, Satan wants to steal your peace. It can be something as simple as a thought. Just a thought that Satan, Satan drops in your brain that robs you of your peace because he tells you in some shape, form, or fashion, you aren't good enough. It may be you are worthless. It may be you are useless. It may be you're not smart enough. It may be you're not nice enough. It may be you don't know enough Bible knowledge. All of that is a lie. 
Because God wants you to have peace that surpasses all understanding. See, if you have put Christ on in baptism, Jesus made you a promise. He said, if you're in my hand, nothing can take you out of it. I don't think we teach that verse enough. I think we're so afraid we might step over onto that once saved, always saved, that we don't want to teach that side of it. Let me tell you something. If you're doing your part, and you're walking in faith, there is nothing that can take you from Christ. He said that. Now, was he lying? No. So how do you get that kind of peace? Well, it tells you. Right here in this verse 7, it says, We'll guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. So when those thoughts of fear, whatever they are, enter your brain... Get that thought out and put Christ there. Jonathan, I, I can't control my own thoughts. Yes, you can. See, that's another lie the devil tells you. You can control your own thoughts. You may not know this, but you know there is peace out there so strong that even life-threatening situations won't concern you. Well, let's see if Jesus ever did that. Let's flip over to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to have three different lesson texts tonight, so we're going to bounce around between Matthew, Mark, and Luke a good bit. But we're going to have three of these, and I hope when we get done with this, you have learned that the person you're supposed to be like had peace. That in reality, I don't think many of us in this room have. I just don't. And if the last 18 months has taught us anything, it's that. I want to talk about that in just a minute, but let's just keep going. Matthew 8, and we're going to start in verse 18. So Matthew 8, start at verse 18. So it says, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side, and a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now we're going to stop right there. We'll make sure we're setting the stage. Jesus has been working all day. If you read Matthew, the, the section of scripture before this, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you will learn he had done a lot of stuff that day. He was a man and he was physically tired. And I'm going to have proof that he was physically tired in just a minute. And it says he looked up in Matthew and he saw the crowd and he went, give me a boat. We got to leave. Now, why? Did he not have compassion on the people? Did he not care about them? Why do you want to leave? Need to get away, regroup his thoughts, had need to say some prayer, have some quiet time with God, all of those things. But Jesus wanted to get away. He had healed people before this. He had two conversations with two disciples. And apparently they had things in their lives they were worried about. One of them was worried about physical possessions. Does it really matter that I wore this shirt two weeks in a row? Nope. It doesn't. Does God even see the shirt on my body? Nope. He looks straight into my heart. He knows what's going on in here. Doesn't care about this. 
Something trivial like that doesn't even matter. Then somebody says, well, my dad died. I need to go bury my dad. And Jesus says, even that doesn't matter. You've got to get in me. Let the dead bury the dead. Now, we know he's talking about the spiritual dead when he says that. But what we're getting at here is Jesus is saying, you put all trivial stuff aside and you follow me. Now, think back to Philippians chapter 4, where he said, you put your hearts and your minds on or in Christ. Jesus is telling them right before this, but the scene is set to where there is a crowd and Jesus is wanting to get away from the crowd and he is going to cross the Sea of Galilee. Now, this isn't like Bay Springs, okay? This is a little bit larger body of water. And these are real boats he's going to have to get into. And so he tells them, I've got to go. Now we're going to flip over to Mark chapter 4. We're going to come back to this one. So you might want to put your Bible marker in this one. Matthew, Mark, excuse me, Mark chapter 4, verse 33. Now I mentioned he had been working and teaching all day before he got to the point where he said, I'm crossing the sea. He has, he has given, given multiple parables. He's talked about the lamp under a basket. He's talked about the parable of the seed growing. He's talked about the mustard seed. And in verse 33, he says, With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. I have actually heard people make a statement to the effect of, we do not need illustrations or storytelling happening from the pulpit. We don't have time. Only preach God's Word. I respond to that with, what did our example of a teacher do? He taught in stories and illustrations. I've never understood people that make the former argument, because I'm like... I get that the parable of the mustard seed can still apply to us today, but most people in this audience have never seen one. They had. So I'm going to give you a parable real quick, and I'm going to tell you a story, and you're going to go along with me, because I'm going to set the stage for what's about to happen. Because I want to make sure you understand it. If you have already read this story on Facebook, I'm sorry. Um, it was in my Fisherman's Journal, and I always record that stuff on Facebook so I have the memories. A few weeks ago, maybe six weeks ago now, we had gone about 18 miles um, south of Fort Morgan. And we had one goal, and that was to catch Red Snapper. That was it. That's all we were trying to do. We got out there, and a storm started up behind us. And we noticed it was to our south, and there was another one over to our east. All we're thinking is, no big deal. Storms are behind us and to our, in that situation, the storms are to our left. We're like, no big deal. The fish bite was strong. We kept fishing. Then we felt the wind on our back and went, it's time to move. They're getting closer. And we started leaving. And it was just like the hand of God went, you should have left earlier. And that storm that was on my east and my south was now on my east, my south, my west, and my north. I was in a little bitty hole. I had both of my sons and I had my father on the boat with me. The seas whipped up, they were at about two and a half to three foot. Now, two and a half to three foot is the size of this desk. What that means is at one moment the sea is this tall, and then the inverse is true. It's that shallow. See, it's this way. It's actually a six foot variance. My boat is 23 foot long. 
which means I tend to hit the trough before I get off the crest of the previous one. That's not a fun situation. I don't recommend it. All right? We were getting wet, but we were safe. We get almost to Dolphin Island, if you know that part, that portion. And we get to the tip of Fort Morgan. At the tip of Fort Morgan, you may have eaten there, there's a restaurant called Tacky Jack's. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of that, ever seen that restaurant. There's a restaurant on the tip of Fort Morgan. And I'm like, I am the, I am the dad of the year. We're going to pull in right before the storm destroys us, and we're going to eat Tacky Jack's. It's going to blow over, get back in the boat, drive home, no, no worries. Pulling to Tacky Jack's, Dad and Isaac hop off the boat, Tristan and me are tying up the lines. Dad shows back up. He goes, um, we need to get under the building. I'm like, oh, how long is the wait? He goes, oh, there's no wait. They had a fire in their kitchen. They're closed. Hmm. So I check the radar, and I can notice that these storms are still blowing up around us. And I'm like, well, that's good. We need to sit still. Isaac decides he's freaking out. He calls his mom. And he says, Mom, I need you to come get me. Kim says, nope. It's storming. I'm sitting right here. Now, mind you, we're about 35 minutes from Kim in this situation. Like, it's not like this is like a five-minute drive for her. All right? He informed her that she was now a one-star mom rather than a five-star mom and hung up the phone. I'm still looking at the radar, and all of a sudden, it cleared. And I got 16 miles to the house. And I go, get in the boat. There's no storms. We're going to shoot the gap. I hop in. I hit the throttles, and we are gone. Five miles later, the storm hit again. Have no idea where it came from. Not on the radar. Shouldn't have been there. Just blew up out of nowhere. That's the worst storm I've ever been in the water in my entire life. Now, I grew up in Iuka, so I was on the water my whole life. I promise I'm going somewhere with this. It was what you call a whiteout situation. What I mean by a whiteout situation is I could not see off the end of my boat. In other words, I couldn't see more than 12 feet in front of me. Isaac is beside me at the helm. Dad and Tristan are on the back. My dad has gotten in this weird contorted position. I'm not really sure what he was trying to do, but it was like this like arm around Tristan and like a leg. Because I think dad was convinced Tristan was just going to exit the back of the boat. Now, he said it was because he was afraid Tristan was getting cold. Now, it was cold. It might have been July, but it was still cold. But, you know, he's all wrapped up back there on the stern of the boat, back there on the back. And Isaac's just looking at me like, why do I ever go fishing with you? Because every time he goes, it's a bad day. I'm looking at my GPS screen, and it says that we are driving due south. And I know I'm not driving due south. I know I'm driving due east. And I'm looking at the screen, I'm looking at that, looking at the screen, looking at that. And I finally went, okay, I can't read the GPS right now, probably because there's so much rain. I know land is to my south, and this is so bad, I may need land in a minute. Like, I'm at the point we're fixing a ditch. I turn hard right, and the GPS now says I'm going a little bit further than due south, a little bit more like southwest. We keep going, and I notice the water depth changes. Eight foot, six foot, four foot, three foot. I know I'm getting close to land. All of a sudden, as we get close to land, I can see piers. 
I'm like, okay, I got my, bear, my bearings. I turn right where I can see, and we keep going. It clears a little bit. We get to close to where, the, where we actually put our boat in at, and it is a lightning storm that I've never seen. Chaboom, 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 chaboom. I have never gotten off of a boat that quick when we finally made it to land. Never. Wish I'd never been in that storm. That storm was minor compared to the one I'm fixing to read. Now, how do I know it was minor? I'll tell you in just a second. So let's read. Now, I'm going to bring that story I just told you back to life in just a second. But I want you to remember, I was in a boat with an electronic GPS, a compass, and a 250 horsepower motor on the back of it. They are in a sailboat with no power, no GPS, and no compass. Okay? See the difference? So if I was concerned with all my modern technologies, put yourself in the place of these people. So let's take a look now at Mark chapter 4, verse 35. It says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. Now remember, we heard that same thing in Matthew. Verse 36 it says, And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. Verse 37, we're going to stop at, and I'm just going to make a quick reference. If you go over to Luke chapter 8, this same account is there. And what it tells us, and the reason I know Jesus was physically tired, it says, as they were sailing, he went to sleep. That's in Luke chapter 8. So in other words, Jesus gets on the boat, he is physically tired, probably mentally tired from dealing with people's problems all day long. He climbs up on the stern of the boat, which is the back of the boat. That's where Dad was hooked up with Tristan, back of the boat. All right, that's also the smoothest part of the boat, but that doesn't really matter in this particular situation. He's back there in the back, and it says he goes to sleep. Does he have a care in the world? Other than the fact that the, you know, the Pharisees and Sadducees want to kill him, the Sanhedrin doesn't like him very much, and he's got a whole lot of people to take care of, and then when he gets off on the other side of the boat, yeah, he has no care in the world. He's just asleep on a boat, having a good time. He's curled up on the back of the boat, and he goes to sleep. So now we're going to start going to where the windstorm comes up. It says in verse 37, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. All right, now I mentioned earlier that I was on a two-and-a-half to three-foot sea, and that I was hitting the trough of the wave before I came off the crest of the, back of the last one. I only plowed through one wave the whole way home. What plowed through means is my bow went into the wave in front of me before my bow was high enough. Just gets you really wet, okay? Because in my new modern boat, I have drains at the back that let that water go off and I have an electronic bilge pump that just pumps it out. That's not what they have here. They're in a wooden sailboat and the waves are breaking over the top and it says they are beginning to swamp. Swamp is a terrible feeling. Your boat is heavy, it does not respond as much, and when all the water gets in the bottom of the bottom of the boat, every time you hit a wave, the water swishes to that side and it tilts you further. Now you're in a sailboat with sails on the top of it, which is also heavy. So now your yaw, how much you tilt, is significantly changed. So much so that the more you hit these waves, it gets worse and worse every time more water enters the boat. 
What is Jesus doing? Let me assure you, Tristan, my dad, Isaac, and myself, neither one of us were sleepy in a whiteout. There were not waves on Mobile Bay that were coming over the top of our boat. And none of us had enough peace that we could have gone to sleep. Not one of us. Jesus was asleep, then he stayed asleep. Now, assuming this boat is the size of the boat I think it is, and assuming it was rocking in the way that it is, I don't even know how he stayed asleep, but the fact that he was probably going airborne at times in this. Because see, when the boat does this, and then it falls, you tend to fall with it, but not always in contact with it. This wasn't smooth. It just says he was on a cushion at the stern. He was either on a bench seat like what I had and what Dad and Isaac were on, or he was just laying on the floor of the boat, fast asleep. Was he in a life-threatening situation? Well, let's look at the text. If you look over at Luke chapter 8, the first attempt to wake him up, they say, Master, we are about to die. Now, we're not in Luke right now. We're in, my, we're in Mark. But they say, we're about to die. In other words, these are professional sailors. And they have assessed the situation, and they have told Christ, we're going to die. And there, we get two different statements in the Gospels. One is, we're going to die, and the other one's the one we're fixing to read. It's almost like they woke him up, and he kind of looked around and was like, what's the big deal? Why do I say that? Let's look at Mark. Because you've got to get the whole picture of the story, not just my account. Because see, if I told you the story I just told you from my perspective, and then you asked Tristan to tell it from his, would you get the exact same story? No. That's why you got to read Matthew, Mark, and Luke about this story to get the whole picture. There's two different quotes. If there's two different quotes, two different things were said. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. Let's look at Matthew chapter 4. It says in verse 36, But it, he was in the storm, asleep on the cushion, and when they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? This statement is different than the one recorded in Luke. It says, do you not care that we're dying? In other words, statement one, we are dying. Statement two, do you not care that we're dying? Two different statements. They mean two totally different things. That's why I say it's almost like he woke up and was like, meh. Then they ask him this, do you not care that we're dying? Now I got a question for you. Do you have the kind of peace with God that you could sleep in this storm? I see someone shaking their head no. Thank you for your honesty. Me neither. So am I the image of Christ yet? Still don't quite measure up, do I? See, that's peace. And I mentioned that if the last 18 months have taught us anything, we have learned that we don't have the peace we want. We've told people how to have funerals. We've told people how to have weddings. All in the name of staying alive longer. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. 
I'm not saying we should waste our lives. I'm just saying think about that from a different perspective. If you're at complete peace with God, regardless of what happened. See, how I view the world is not based on whether or not I think I'm going to live in it. How I view the world is based on whether or not I think I'm going to live in the next world. How God chooses to take me from this world, I have no control over. Have you ever really thought about that? You're appointed once to die, but you're not appointed to determine how you will die. I had a brother killed at 24 in a car wreck. 24. I had a first cousin die. 24. From spina bifida. They had no control over that. It just happened. I had a grandmother die at 66. Same car wreck with my brother. Again, she didn't choose that. And what I'm saying is, you have no control over your death. So why are you worried about it? Have peace which surpasses all understanding. Go to sleep in the boat. God is going to take care of us. And whether this is the storm that takes us or the storm, that the next storm is the one that takes us, I don't know. But live your life in a way that someone can look at you and go, I want some of that. I want some of that. Because this world does not have peace. Look at Afghanistan. People are fly, falling off of airplanes to get over here because they want peace. And we're burning our country down because we're not happy with how this place is. It's kind of a weird thing, isn't it? There's only one way to get that kind of peace. Where is it found? According to Philippians 4, what? It's found in God, in Jesus Christ. When you put your heart and your mind in Jesus Christ... You can have the peace of God from the Prince of Peace, which surpasses all understanding. Now, let's see the rest of the story, as they say. How does this story end? Verse 39, And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Is that the where it ends? That's the end of the story, right? Jesus got up and told the wind, hey, calm down, waters, calm down. I think this is one of the most ironic parts of the story we never talk about. What does a sailboat need to move? Wind. Was there any after this? Nope. They had a totally different problem on their hands now. But Jesus Christ gets up, he rebukes the wind, it goes completely calm. Why do he have to rebuke the water too? Well, think about it. When water is disturbed, it doesn't instantly just go flat. But it says he rebuked them both. He told the wind to stop it, he told the waves to stop it, and they both go completely calm. Then what did he do? He rebuked them. He looked at them and he says, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Right before this, I didn't record it. He had fed 4,000 people. Right before this. 
Could, if you put yourself in the human side of Christ, would you be a little irritated at your disciples right now? Now, in today's English, Jesus Christ woke up and went, Really? This is what you're worried about? Have you not been paying attention to what I have been doing to this world since I started my mission? He's healing people left and right. He, oh, by the way, he healed the centurion servant right before this, and he wasn't even in the same city. And God gets up to him and he says, do y'all still not have any faith? In other words, he goes, what's it going to take? I think that's the human side of Jesus. What's it going to take for you to understand? I've got this. And I wonder right now if God's looking at a lot of us saying, what's it going to take for y'all to realize I've got this? Think about the last two years, and I'm not just talking about COVID. About the last two years, what all you have seen and what all you have felt. And how many times did you go, no big deal, he's got this. Or did you bemoan what you were seeing? Did you turn off the TV because you just couldn't take it anymore? Or did you just go, you know what? Don't like what I'm seeing. I'm going to go sleep on the boat. Now, the boat there is a metaphor for what I'm talking about here. But that's the peace that Jesus had on this earth. He could sleep through a storm that was literally fixing to kill him. It was right there at it. They told him that. We're going to die. Verse 41. And they were filled with great faith. Is that what that says? No. It says, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Did Jesus know their thoughts? Yeah, he did. Do you think he was any happier with this new thought than he was the one ahead of this where they thought they were going to die? He just told them, where's your faith? And they went, who is this guy? I hope that you never walk through your life wandering around going, who is this guy? Just how powerful is he? Well, he's powerful enough to calm the storm. He's powerful enough to heal the sick. He's powerful enough to raise the dead. He's powerful enough to heal someone he's not even in the same city with. And this is, oh, by, and this is the before they had Facebook and social media and instant messaging. He couldn't like send an ingredient list. He's powerful enough to make a Roman centurion say, that man was the son of God. So what really are you worried about? What's stealing your peace? Because that's what I want you to work on for the next week until we come back here next Sunday and we study the death of Lazarus. The reason I want you to work on that is I want you to work on capture those thoughts, those thoughts that enter your head that take away your peace. And the moment you realize what you're thinking, stop yourself, take a moment, put it on Christ, 
and see if you feel a little better. Put your faith up there, because he's got it. You don't. Let's be clear. We don't, but he does. As you know, the Lord's invitation is always open. We've got a couple of elders here, as we always do. Um, you can find me, text me, whatever. If you have any questions about what we talked about tonight or any concerns. And again, the study next quarter is about modern moral issues. So if you have any moral issues in particular you want to talk about, please bring them to me. I need, to, I need help getting that course put together. Because if, you, if I talk about what you want to hear, you're going to enjoy the class. Right? Let's pray before we leave. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for all that you've given us, Lord. Lord, we know that your Son is your exact image and the person that we are trying to become more and more like. Lord, remove fear from our lives, remove doubt from our lives, increase our faith, remove our anxiety, Heavenly Father. Let us always focus on you and know that you are in control and that regardless of what happens, you will take care of us and your will will be done. Heavenly Father, be with everyone here. Pray that you'll watch over them this week, help them have a good week. Pray that you'll help them as they go throughout their travels and have a safe return to the next time we open these doors. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.